Here's Pastor Xavier Reese with this thought on accountability. Do you realize that when you stand before Jesus Christ, you will be the sum total of your own decisions before Him? You will not be able to blame your wife, your husband, your children, not even your dog. You will give an account for your life before God. You're not going to be able to go before God and say, Listen, Lord, I was dysfunctional. I was codependent. I had too many Twinkies. Well, that works with man, maybe, but not with God. Welcome to Simple Truths, the daily half-hour study of God's Word with Xavier Reese, Senior Pastor of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. There's no question that in a me, myself, and I world, we don't need any further instruction on how to be selfish. But when it comes to accepting blame, well, all of a sudden, we're all too willing to share. Today, Pastor Xavier takes us to the book of Deuteronomy as he points out the need for accountability and obedience to the Word of God. Deuteronomy chapter 27, verse 1 through 26. I've entitled the message, Man's Responsible Accountability to God. A preacher had on his desk a uh, special book labeled Complaints of Members Against One Another. And when one of his people called to him uh, and told him the faults of another, he would say, well, here's my complaint book. I'll write down what you say, and you can sign it. And then when I have to take this matter up officially, I shall know exactly what you expect to testify to. Uh, the sight of the open book and the ready pen had its effect. Oh, no. I couldn't sign anything like that. And no entry was ever made. The preacher kept this book for 40 years, opened it probably a thousand times, and never wrote one line in it. There's something about writing something down and putting your name to it, isn't there? We're so fast to shoot our lip off about people. Wow, this and that, this and that. Oh, really? Oh, well, let's go get him. He's in the next door. Let's go talk to him. Well, I can. I got to be lunch somewhere right now. <laughs> Interesting. There is something about writing something down and being accountable to what has been recorded. And such is the case with the children of Israel here. And Moses commanded them to write the law on large stones once they entered the land in order to be accountable for the law they had received and their obedience to it. As you look to our society, we are a society that is unaccountable. And therefore, we are irresponsible. One leads to the other. And it seems that nobody wants to take responsibility or accountability for anything. And so we have a society of people who really are not responsible, and therefore we end up being a nation that becomes bankrupt. But that's the picture of our society today on every level. There are three movements in our text which unfolds the event here. But let me read it, and then I'll give them to you. It says, Then Moses, with the elders of Israel commanded the people, saying, Keep all the commandments which I command you today, and it shall be on the day when you cross over Jordan to the land which the Lord your God has given you, that you shall set up for yourselves large stones and whitewash them with lime. You shall write on them all the words of this law when you have crossed over, that you may enter the land which the Lord your God has given you, a land flowing with milk and honey, just as the Lord God of your fathers has promised you. Therefore, it shall be when you have crossed over the Jordan that the Mount, on Mount Evil you shall set up these stones which I command you today, 
and you shall whitewash them with lime. And there you shall build an altar to the Lord your God, an altar of stones. And you shall not use any iron tool on them. You shall um, build with whole stones the altar of, of the Lord your God and offer burnt offerings on it for the Lord your God. And you shall offer peace offerings and shall eat there and rejoice before the Lord your God. And you shall write very plainly on the stones all the words of this law. Then Moses and the priests and Levites uh, spoke to all of Israel, saying, Take heed and listen, O Israel. This day you have become the people of the Lord your God. Therefore, you shall obey the voice of the Lord your God and serve his, observe his commandments and his statutes, which I command you today. And Moses commanded the people on the same day, saying, These shall stand on Mount Gerizim to bless the people when you have crossed over the Jordan, Simeon, Levi, Judah, Issachar, Joseph, and Benjamin. And these are the ones who stand on Mount Evil to curse, Reuben, Gad, Asher, Zebulun, Dan, and Naphtali. And the Levites shall speak with a loud voice and say to all the men of Israel, Cursed is the one who makes any carving or molden image, an abomination to the Lord, the work of the hands of the craftsmen, and set it up in, a, in secret, and all the people shall answer and say, Amen, which means so be it. Cursed is the one who treats his father and his mother with contempt, and all the people shall say, Amen. Cursed is the one who moves his neighbor's landmark, and all the people shall say, Amen. Cursed is the one who makes the blind to wander off the road, and all the people shall say, Amen. Cursed is the one who perverts justice due to the stranger, the fatherless, and the widow, and all the people shall say, Amen. Cursed is the one who lies with his father's wife because he uncovers his father's bed, and all the people shall say, Amen. Cursed is the one who lies with any kind of animal, and all the people shall say, Amen. Cursed is the one who lies with his sister, the daughter of his father, or the daughter of his mother, and all the people shall say, Amen. Cursed is the one who lies with his mother, in law, and all the people shall say, Amen. Curse of the one who attacks his neighbor secretly, and all the people shall say, Amen. Curse of the one who takes a bribe to slay an innocent person, and all the people shall say, Amen. Curse of the one who does not confirm all the words of this law, and all the people shall say, Amen. Three movements appear in this section. First, we have the leader Moses with the elders commanded the people to write the law on stones, verses 1 through 8. Then you have the leader Moses and the priests spoke to the people to obey the commandments, verses 9 through 13. And then lastly, you have the Levites pronounced the curses to the people in verses 14 through 26. Let's take the first. The leader Moses with the elders commands the people to write the law on stones. Notice in verse 1, first of all, that the people were reminded that they were to keep all the commandments. This is the only time in the book of Deuteronomy that we find Moses associated, or really the leaders associated with Moses to give instruction at the same time. Moses is the individual who is the central figure. He is preparing the children of Israel to give the law this second time to the generation who survived the wilderness, grew up in the wilderness, and were not there for Sinai. And so it is Moses himself who is passing the baton, and as we move on, we'll see that he gives it to Joshua. But here, he is a spokesman. This is the only time that they are associated with him in any proclamation. 
The proclamation is for the entire law that is given. Mark that well. We are very selective people. He reminded them to keep all the law. Usually we want to keep that which is beneficial. Usually we agree with that which is, enhances us, but then we say, well, do I have to do this? Or do I really have to say that? And there isn't anything in life that you will take as a blessing that will not have its drawbacks. There is always something. That's part of life. But man is always trying to manipulate, see how much he can get and how much he can get away with. The focus here is on all the law. Everything. Notice secondly in verses 2 and 3, the direct command is given. The command was to be carried out at the time they crossed over Jordan and they took possession of the land given to them by God. We read this phrase over and over and over again. It was a new level of walk for them, a walk of faith. They would have to step into the Jordan at flood season and then it would part. They would not experience what they experienced in the Red Sea where the sea parted and then they walked through, through sight. They would have to step by faith. Now they were to set up stones with whitewash and whitewash them with lime. There in, in verse 2. And they were to write on those stones the law. And God takes them through these practical things. That's why when you go to school as a kid, you, 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 you see a letter and then you, you pronounce it and then you write it. And you're hitting it from all the levels of learning to reinforce understanding. Notice that the act itself would be affirming God's faithfulness to his promise of giving them the land that flows with milk and honey. This is a euphemism for abundance and prosperity and riches. They would go into cities that they had not built. They would go in and they would take the spoils which they had not labored for. It would be God giving everything. Look at your life and look at mine. All that God has given to us have we really worked for all that he's given us? He said, well, yeah, I'm part of it. But look at the other side. If you weren't with God, where would you be today? You might even have more money if you weren't with the Lord. But how would your spiritual condition be? And how would you be enjoying that money? It would make all the difference in the world. So really, all that we have and all we ever have as Christians, we know it's because of God. Our obedience to his word and his grace working in our life continually. Over and over again. And his, what can we say about his mercies and his patience with us? <laughs> Never interpret his mercy and his patience to permissiveness. He is very, very patient, but don't ever interpret that as permissiveness or toleration for evil or disobedience. It's just grace and mercy. That's all it is. Notice thirdly in verse 4, the location was to be Mount Ebal. Now, the place of Mount Ebal was in the very heart of the land, right in the center. If you look at a map, it's halfway up north and south and east and west in the heart of the land, near the city of Shechem. Now, Mount Ebal stood next to Mount Gerizim that we will get down in verse 12. And there's a beautiful valley between them, about 300 yards wide. The height of Mount Ebal is about 1,400 and two feet uh, above the valley and 3,077 above sea level. Mount Gerizim is 288 feet lower than Ebal. Now the way you remember these two mountains is Ebal, just think of evil, cursings, and the other ones left Gerizim, that's the blessing. Okay, and that's the best way to remember them. And so here you have these two mountains, both are composed of limestone rock, 
and between them runs this artery, a highway east and west uh, to the modern city of Neblas, uh, lying on the throat of the valley uh, to the west. And so this is the site where the children of Israel would come into the land, right in the very heart of the land. Then they were to write these laws on stones, and the curses would be among evil, and, and also the procedure that we'll go through what they were to do uh, to remind them of God's word, of God's uh, faithfulness, and of their responsibility. Basic principles that you will see in any society, any home, any corporation that is going to be functional and efficient and productive. We've lost basic common sense in our society and world today. We're so caught up with individual rights. Individuals mess up things, you understand? Now for individual rights, we have different, but you don't focus on the individual at the expense of the whole. You go to the doctor and you have gangrene in your left foot. He says, we got to take it off. He said, not in your life. You're not taking that off. Well, you're going to die. You lose your whole life. And sometimes you have to sacrifice a part to save the whole. We've lost common sense today, people. The interesting thing about Mount Ebal to the very day is that Mount Ebal is a mount of cursings. And if you would go over there today, you would find that Mount Ebal is barren of vegetation while Gerizim flourishes. How interesting. <laughs> Notice fourthly in verses 5 through 7 that the manner of worship was to be simple and complete. They were to build an altar of the most basic stones without some elaborate work of artistry. Literally uncut stone, verses 5 in the beginning of verse 6. You see, God desires people not to be distracted from the worship of God by the fancy work of man. Sometimes you walk into some buildings and you are so caught up, you walk in and say, boy, look at the sculpture ceilings and boy, look at that pillar over there and look at that mosaic and look at, oh, look at the altar. Whoa, will you look at those pipe organs? And, you're, and the word of God is going on and, and you're just first time in this building and you're just in awe. What does it do? It takes all the attention away from the Word and from God, and it places it on the work of man's hand. What an abomination. Now, simplicity is always God's best. Clean, but simplicity. And this way your eyes and your heart and your ears and your mind is focused on the Word of God that's going out. Now, sometimes preachers take away the attention from God. The way they be, oh, God, and, and this, and that, and they're walking around, and, and then people are going, they're so caught up with the man. I can hear God up and say, shut up, stand still, and just talk. They love glory. Interesting. God desires people to have their full attention on him and his word, on no one else. Notice in verse 6, the latter portion, they were to offer burnt offerings on that altar. Burnt offerings were symbolic of dedication and consecration to God, being entirely consumed by fire, Leviticus 1 tells us. This is symbolic. is my life. I give it to God, dedication and consecration. God, I am yours. I want to live for you. Here I am. I am sold out to you. You know what's lacking in the church today? Passion for Jesus. We don't have passion for Jesus. 
You know about passion if you're married. If you have passion for your wife and your husband, man, marriage is fun, isn't it? You lose passion, another stinking day. It's not that much fun, is it? How you respond to one another, why? No passion. You have passion for Jesus? That's what's lacking today in people, a passion for Jesus. The individual is giving himself to God wholeheartedly, unreservedly, all the way. It seems that God is so lucky to get our leftovers, huh? And yet everything we have is because of him. They were also to offer peace offerings on the altar. Verse 7, peace offerings were symbolic of fellowship with God. They would eat a portion of the offering with God, entering into communion and oneness. It would be like the greatest thing you could do is to invite someone into your home, the greatest honor, and, and invite them to eat. And you would break the bread, give them some, you would get some, and from the same bread you would both dip into the same bowl and you would be nourished from the common source. You would become one in eating. This is much so throughout the world. You go into any home, Mexico, South America, Central America, Europe, they invite you in, they right away, they offer, would you, you want something to eat? And they force you to eat. No, no, I'm okay. They for we in America slam the door and have them stand on the porch. Or we offer them in, let them sit there for 10, 20 minutes. We don't even ask them, are you thirsty? You want something to eat? Anything like that. We're real informal. God wants to be intimate. To fellowship with us. It was a time of oneness. Their sin offering had been offered. Their burnt offering had been offered up. And now they were just fellowshipping with God. Equivalent to maybe our communion table. Let's put that next to it. It's a time when you come to fellowship with God. You become one. And notice that they were to rejoice before the Lord their God through their privilege. What a privilege. But see, sometimes we think that, you know, God is privileged to have us. You ever remember growing up and then on the block there was some kid that was older and you wanted to hang out with them and, and your, your friends and all of a sudden you got to hang out with them one day and, and you told you, yeah, I, I hung out with John today and, you know, nonchalant, but, you know, you're trying to impress them. Well, have you ever told anybody, you know, I hang out with God? <laughs> Do we consider that a privilege? How interesting. Notice, fifthly, in verse 8, the words were to be written plainly on the stones. Plainly. To be readable, to be understandable, to be accountable, to be responsible, to be inexcusable. Society doesn't like these words. Everybody's got an excuse. Everybody thinks it's not their fault. It's always somebody else's fault. Well, that works with man, maybe, but not with God. Absolutely not. Do you realize that when you stand before Jesus Christ, you will be the sum total of your own decisions before him? You will not be able to blame your wife, your husband, your children, not even your dog. You will give an account for your life before God. You're not going to be able to go before God and say, listen, Lord, I, I was dysfunctional. I was codependent. I was an enabler. I had too many Twinkies. Uh, it won't work with God. Have you ever noticed how many men shirk from the responsibility of marriage? by stating that it's just a piece of paper, then why don't you sign it, man? 
Because once men sign it, and they sign their name to that piece of paper, they are making themselves accountable and responsible to the woman and to the legal system. That's why they know it. That's a scary thing to sign your name on something. Buy a house for a hundred, two hundred thousand, and you sign your name on it. Sometimes we don't even think, we don't even shake. We should. It's a lot of money. You sign your name to a marriage license that you are promising to provide, to protect, to take care of this woman for the rest of your life, no matter what. That you put your name on that you're saying you're going to submit and obey and follow this man no matter where he goes, what happens? We lose sight of all that. We as Christians are commanded by Jesus to obey his word, not by writing the law on tables of stones, but he writes them in the tables of our hearts, Hebrews 8, 10 and 10, 16 says. It's a witness from within as you read the word of God and he nails you. As you sit and the preacher and teacher teaches and the Holy Spirit says, this is you, I'm talking to you. It's from within because of that personal relationship of being born again and being totally committed to him and that he has access to my life. We are commanded to worship God in spirit and in truth and not allow ritual or ceremony to deceive us and to make us hypocrites. Didn't Jesus tell the woman of Samaria in John 4, 24, those who worship God must worship God in spirit and in truth? See, she says, we worship here in Gerizim, oh, one of the mountains, the mountain of blessing. But he said, the Jews worship, they know what they worship, but you don't know what you worship. But there comes a time, and now is, when those who worship God must worship him in spirit and in truth. Oh, he says, Paul, I perceive you're a prophet. By the time he got done with her, he says, you're the savior of the world. Do you realize he got that title in Samaria? And you know how the Jews felt about the Samaritans. They were half-breeds. They didn't even have a soul, they thought. Oh, we are so careful that we don't get caught up with all this ritual and ceremony, and we deceive ourselves, and we end up being hypocrites. That we do give heed to the witness of within on the table of our hearts. Lest we appease ourselves with works and, and, and vows and, and ceremony and, and tears and, and emotions. And, and, and yet we strain at a gnat and we swallow a camel. We worship God in our study of the word in this church. When the word of God is proclaimed distinctly and the sense is given so that the people can understand the reading. Thereby able to say Amen. And so 2 Timothy 2.15 says that we're not to be ashamed of stewardship, diligently dividing the word of truth. And so we sit and we study. And there are people who would mock you for studying the word of God, even within the church today with experience. And they figure if you're not experiencing all the junk they're experiencing that is not even biblical, then, you know, you're just intellectual. Oh, no, we don't want to be just intellectual. Our intellect must have some concrete flesh to it some reality, but everything I experience has to be backed up by the scriptures. Otherwise, I have no basis for my experience. I am unscriptural. The authority is the word of God, not my experience. And I have to be also careful because the church is being led that way today. We would seek clear and simple understanding of the word and not fanciful ingenious and clever interpretations that tickle our ears after the order of the last days and first timothy 4 13 says exhort read give yourself to read an exhortation and doctrine understanding asking questions of the text examining 
knowing the context then applying it to my life say Lord make this real in my life I know I can't but you can so I submit myself to you that's the reality of the scriptures Pastor Xavier Reese talks about the importance of surrendering to the Word of God. And you can request a copy of today's challenging lesson from the book of Deuteronomy titled, Man's Accountability to God. You can request a copy for just $4 on CD. And be sure and request an additional copy to pass along to those in your Bible study. Now the title to ask for once again is, Man's Accountability to God. Or simply mention today's date when you write, Simple Truths. 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. Or to make your request by phone, call 800-926-1485. Again, that's 800-926-1485. Or the address once again is Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. And it's important that you include the call letters of this station when you contact us. Next time on Simple Truths, Pastor Xavier Reese has more about the importance of accountability. Hope to see you then. Simple Truths with Pastor Xavier Reese, a daily half-hour broadcast, is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. www.calvarychapelpasadena.com 